I meant to take this one picture as like a quarantine self-portrait um, and like have different aspects of how I identify with the quarantine. But then as I looked at the picture and had the idea in my head, I look almost like a serial killer. And I was like, wait a minute. If I think that way about myself when I look like this, imagine how someone who's a police officer or a white person, her their direct go-to is like, call police. I, the, I titled it Quarantine Artist Protester Killer? Question mark. Osman Ori is a lifelong Lancastrian. He's watched the city change pretty dramatically over the last three decades. He's an artist, a photographer, and a graduate of the Pennsylvania College of Art and Design, where he now works in the Department of Admissions. I've had many conversations about a number of things, um, most of the time about football, because we both are lovers of Manchester United and Everton, uh, opposite teams. Obviously, I'm a Manchester United fan, Everton fan. Uh, we won't get into that right now. <laughs> My name is Osman Ori. Um, I'm a local, Lancaster local. I've uh, been living here 31 years. Uh, 31. I'm 31 now, so I've been living here my whole life. Uh, grew up downtown um, in that area, just outside the city, roughly in a little suburb type cityscape area. Um, but mostly what I do now, I'm an admissions coordinator at Pennsylvania College of Art and Design, where I graduated. Also an artist, teacher, um, activist in my own little way with my artwork, um, and just overall like trying to be a mentor to all those people um, that may feel like me or look like me, uh, and trying to navigate the sp- these spaces um, within the art world and just overall around me um, with my art and using my art as a tool, because um, that's one way I know how to like get through to people is using photographs. Um, and I practice photography, so I didn't mention that, um, but I think images in particular, and especially now, um, with everything that's going on with the protests and the pandemic and everything else, um, they provide a lot of context for people. um, And they show truth rather than like things being doctored. Of course, in some cases, they can be doctored. um, But with my artwork, Mm. I try and make it as real and as truthful as possible, um, using film um, and some digital if if the case presents itself. Um, But most of the time, I just try and tell the truth through my portraits and give people a perspective um, about who I am, how I grew up, um, what it's like to meet for me to grow up, um, my identity as a black person and a black man, and just trying to relate people back to the stories I show in my photographs. And a lot of times, people do get the meanings of my photographs more um, because they can relate to them. So that's kind of where I'm at right now with this project um, called "I'm Still Black." Um, mm-hmm. That, like I said, that revolves around my identity as a black man growing up, um, being bullied in high school. Not to the point where it was like really, really bad, but to the point where I understood like, okay, I'm a little different from that quote unquote different than everyone else, um, even in my own culture and other cultures. So I've just been trying to navigate that the past two years, um, but now the pandemic's happened and the protests are happening and police brutality is coming up once again, mm-hmm. even though our country's riddled in, you know, the history of that and everything else. So that's even more, that's more, even more drive for me to like, photograph, create this work, um, and just trying to navigate that space, even though more people are navigating the protests by going to them, being involved, um, taking photographs. And a lot of photographs are, photographers are using their platforms um, 
to go to those places and photograph those things, but I'm in a place where like I'm already overwhelmed hmm. with, with those things. So I'm trying to use what I have in front of me at my house um, and my cameras and everything else to like document myself inward inwardly and just hmm. show people how I'm feeling, even though it's like not the protests. Um, so yeah, that's that's basically what I'm doing right now. <laughs> so what would be the thesis if if you have one if you've developed one what is the thesis of your work um what like if you had like a creed you know like how would you describe the message that you're trying to convey i've always felt like an outsider within my culture but with my photographs i want to show people that there's more than one bit one way to be african-american more than one way to be black and there's all kinds of different ways to express yourself as a black person while still being black, even though people may say that you're not, may say that you're doing this and that, you're too white for this and that, or, you know, you may be ousted or outed in some way, you're still African-American. Like, it doesn't matter um, how you act or what you do. Like, you're still an African-American person. Your skin color doesn't change. Um, and that's what I want to show through um, these photographs, essentially. Even if other people see you one way, um, even if they don't see you as black, you still are. Yeah. So what does it mean to be black? And for you, as I recall in our conversations, we talked about how I, you know, when you were younger in high school and stuff, people would say like, oh, you're not into the things that black people are into. Yeah, yeah. And so I'd like for you to explain what that means, what that meant when you were younger. People see you and they automatically think a certain thing. Um, yeah. Many people do. Yeah, yeah. And so you're not that thing, but you're also not the thing that they think you are either way. So like, can you just, just speak to that? It's kind of a loaded question because <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out myself. Um, but within, like, over the past years of doing this project, I just kind of been like, you know, I'm myself. I am who I am, um, and like, I can like different things and still be a part of my culture and find people that that can relate to my story or can relate to the fact that, like, you know, who cares? Like, we understand that you're still African American. Like, it doesn't matter. So I think it's for me, it's more about being proud of who you are um, and being proud of who you are in your own skin rather than like trying to change for other people. Because um, I've noticed, you know, there have been times where like I felt like, hey, I shouldn't be acting this way or like I've had to navigate spaces where it's predominantly white spaces. And it's like I had to like change who I am in certain spaces. Um, but then when I get around like my black friends and my family, anything else like that. I completely, it's like a completely different vernacular, almost like how mm -hmm. I talk, how I act. I get a lot louder. It, it's just, it's strange. Like you feel more, com you feel more comfortable, honestly. Um, and I think that's what it is with me. It's like, I feel the, the more and more I do this project, the more I feel more comfortable around people that look like me and the less I, I feel less comfortable around people that don't look like me. The more you do the project, the less you feel comfortable around people yeah. who don't look like you. Yeah. Around, white, that, people, it, around white people. Honestly. Around white people. Is that a surprise? Yeah. No, um, it, it is, it kind of is, but it kind of isn't because I've noticed that, uh, ever since I graduated college, I've been like cutting people out of my life that I know don't support me and support what I love and what I do. Huh. Um, and that, in that aspect, it's like, you know, you have people that want to play the devil's advocate on Facebook and start arguments and, you know, you know, oh, it's just, and people, and people have come out and flat out said, it's like, oh, you know, I just wanted, I just like doing that. And I'm like, well, you know what? If you're that kind of person, I don't need you in my life. Like, you're just, you're a person that doesn't understand why I'm so passionate about the things I do. 
um, and you don't understand. So, what I, are the arguments that they're making? What are the what, even if they're playing devil's advocate or not? So, yeah. What are these things that they're pushing back against? That you that so prime example. Um, I, a couple of years ago, I posted something about slavery, and of course, you know, how dare you? <laughs> yeah. So of course, uh, bless my wife. I love her to death. Um, someone posts someone posts something back that's like one of my friends at the time says, "What about like Irish slaves or something like that?" Oh God. And I'm like, okay, do I want to expend this energy right now? And you know, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna leave it. I don't. I don't want to deal with this. I'm not gonna deal with it because I don't want to educate somebody, and I don't want to expend my energy yet again on another one of these stupid arguments. Um, but my wife is very just as passionate as I am. So she's like, she took, she took it upon herself to argue and educate. Um, and then, and then about 95 comments later, <laughs> oh God. Um, I had not seen it. I, I saw notifications, but I didn't see any of this, but it was just like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I messaged one of them and asked them, I was like, Oh, he's like, Oh, you know, I just like playing devil's advocate. And I'm like, dude, you under, do you even understand like, like how rude that is, and how much of like it's just, to what end? Like, what's like, your purpose? Yeah, exactly. And that's what I asked them, and I was like, well, what's the point? Like, don't do that. And like that that leads into the thing where like people have gotten so like people over the years have gotten so comfortable with me. White people have gotten so comfortable with me that they think they go into that situation where they think it's okay to say things because I'm so cool with them, quote unquote. So it's like, it was, I mean, when I was in high school and college, you know, people, they wouldn't say anything offensive, but you know, like now in hindsight for myself, I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe I let people say that stuff around me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm just like, nah, not like, and even now, like as an older, like not older, but um, (laughs) in my thirties, the ripe um, old age of 31. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's just like, I'm understanding more now. I'm speaking up more about things that I feel that are problematic, even within my own workspace. Um, Anywhere I go, I'm more vocal. Um, I just try and call people out on their, their bullshit, honestly, because they need to know. And like, and I always tell them like, it's not my job to educate you. Like, yes, you may not have understood, or yes, you may have said something that was offensive to me, but you have to understand why it was offensive and why you shouldn't say it, and you have to figure that out on your own, in my opinion. So it's just kind of like, I'm I'm done. I'm done explaining things to people, um, and I don't need that kind of stress in my life, especially around this time, <laughs> like this environment we're in right now. So I, I find myself looking around and saying like, oh, p- hearing people say like, wow, I'm hearing people talk about racism on Facebook and on the radio and in text threads now. Uh, and people who had never, ever, ever said the words white privilege are now talking yeah. about white privilege. Isn't that great that this country is finally having this conversation? Oh and, you know, people on <laughs> CNN and like, you know, Chris Cuomo on CNN is finally like, he's having black people on to talk about what it's like to be black. Oh my and, gosh. and and my prime example of this is just, it's unfair of me to, to, to pinpoint this as my prime example of it, but it's the one that I was thinking about when this happened. I was listening to National Public Radio uh, on Thursday morning or yesterday morning. Yep. And they were talking about uh, bird watching. And of course, bird watching and black people is a thing that people are thinking about right now. It's a hashtag that people are thinking about right now because of that person from Central Park. Yeah. Who, right. You know the whole story. Yep. Yep. Uh, Amy Cooper or whatever her name is. And they were so proud of themselves that they had 
put this bird watching program together. They were like, and now people are hearing birds and we'd like to know what it's like for black people who are bird watchers. Did you know that uh, bird watching is a thing in the black community? We didn't know that. And we have, you know, we, we'd like for there to be a black person to come on yeah. the show to talk about bird watching the black community. That's the and thing I, right there. That, so, I was drawn off the road. Yeah, and I was just yeah. like, Oh, you out NPR'd yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it's so on brand. Um, to yeah. be proud of yourself for something as absurd as that. And I'm sitting here thinking like, here's what's happening. People have, white people in America have just apparently woken up and recognized that there are black people in America. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, yeah. oh, they're black. Hey, and they have things to say. And, yeah. and, and they're smart. And they're artists. And, yeah. and they're musicians. And they're politically act- organized. And, and, and oh my goodness, we had no idea. And like they all of a sudden, just like it is, you know, typical of white people, they want to be sort of pat on the back for opening up their eyes to something yeah, yeah. that's been around yeah. for 400 years. And that's the thing. Like, I think people, like you said, do that thing where like, oh, you know, I invited this the so-and-so friend to my party. So it's okay now. I don't got to do it anymore. Or, you know, we talked about this on our program. So now we don't have to do it anymore. Um, my A lot of my friends or acquaintances, I should say, have been reaching out to me, um, asking me if I'm okay and all this shit that's going on um and i've just been kind of like in that mind and i and i i told my job i was just kind of like don't ask me if i'm okay right now like just don't do it because Because? everyone everyone and their mom has decided now's the time to check on me right um instead of like other times where it's just like you should have checked on me regardless of what was happening because you know, that's what friends do. That's what people do. Um, so I was like, don't ask me if I'm all right. I will talk about it if I want to talk about it. I will keep you guys informed. If I want to keep you informed. Just know that I'm all right. Um, I'm doing what I know is good for myself in this time and what I need. Um, but that's been like the constant thing. And then even on Instagram, um, like my social media has grown because people were starting to share and more black and brown artists. Now, my problem that I'm seeing is like, how come this doesn't happen all the time? Or like, how come places don't have black artists in their spaces downtown? Like, how come you're reaching out now to spread my work and other black, black, black artists work, but any other time it's old money, old white mm-hmm. artists, overpriced art that's kitschy, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, and, and then on top of that, there's no space provided to show this work. Um, I'm at a constant struggle um, with the art scene in Lancaster, in my opinion, just because you have a plethora of artists within the school, and yet you don't see any of those artists being shown across the street. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, how is that? How do you have that much of a misconnection between an art school that's right downtown, right beside Gallery Row, and yet you don't exhibit any of those artists or come to the come to the senior show and see, see their work and give them a chance. Um, and then, so what's the answer to that question? Oh, I don't even know. Um, personally, personally, I yeah. feel that Lancaster pedals a tourist, specifically white tourists. Consistently, I've gr- I mean, I've grown up here. I knew when First Friday first started, it was kind of like a ghost town in Lancaster. So then, 
when I was in school, I noticed that a lot of the people that would come into town, I didn't recognize. And I'm like, who are all these people? Like, I've never seen any of these people before. And then on top of that, I wouldn't see any people of color, um, let alone black people downtown, even though I know there's black people in, in Lancaster. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it. So I think that's just steeped in like, you know, gentr- gentrification on top of redlining within downtown. Um, and the further and further you, like the more and more business you get downtown, the less and less people pay attention to what's outside of the city. Um, that there is a culture, there are people in this city that make up more than the white population. Um, but that's not mm-hmm. how Lancaster markets itself. They like, they market it as the, the tourist town. There's a bunch of things to do. Um, and they don't lift up the people that actually make up the city, in my opinion. Um, and I've, I've told people that um, within meetings, within the art school, everything else, um, the higher ups, I'm like, with our marketing and with the city's marketing, there's two conflicting things now because we're trying to bring in students of color because I know that's what um, black people need. I know there's tons of black creators out there and I've seen some amazing work from, from the black students that go to the school. Um, but it's just like the the marketing within Lancaster to me is just not good enough um, to give artists, um, let alone black people, a chance to express themselves. Um, but there, there's a gallery, there's a gallery that I promote to Helen High Water. It's called Pava Gallery. Um, they're on Christian Street, a couple blocks from the school. And um, when I got on into this magazine called Rebello Magazine, um, I, I wanted to get photographed in their space to promote them as much as I could because run by two black women um they promote all african-american and african art um they hold dance parties everything else for black people and to this day i promote them to no end so um but i I think that's like the answer honestly sam like a lot of times i feel like they aren't marketing to people um or they're just not they don't want black people or people of color to show up um it's I could, I could keep going, but I think it's the marketing. Like, honestly, the marketing, how they're building things up, um, even down to the type of art they put in for certain, like, let's say they're doing construction, the type of art they put in to promote another artist. Like, it's not someone that's from here or it's someone that's, like, well-established and has already had an opportunity. Um, it's just kind of, it's a lot of different things, but I think that's where it comes from, honestly. What was the response from the you know, quote unquote, higher ups when you made this point about marketing? They could, I think they agreed. And I think we've done a better job at trying to promote, um, quote unquote, I hate this. I hate the word diversity. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's the only word I can think of right actually now. mean the thing that people want it to mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of like this weird, mushy word where it's like, oh, we have diversity. I'm like, do you though? So, um, but I think they, this is where I'm not sure. Cause I'm one of like, I'm like one of two black employees. Um, and it's like, it's hard to navigate that space because I don't know if my voice is being heard. A lot of times I feel like it's being heard, but then I'm kind of, I always have that skepticism of like, are they really listening to me or are they just going to pedal something else their own way? Um, but we, we the one thing you ran into it and it, I ran into as an admissions counselor um, with our marketing is that we're trying to show more diversity in the school, mm-hmm. but we're a PWI in my opinion. 
and we don't have any pictures of black people anywhere. Um, For those of us not familiar, what's a PWI? A predominantly white institution. Ah, okay. Just to let you know. (laughs) Just for those who weren't aware of that. I I got you. Um, But what what I'm coming to find out within the inner workings of the school is that the old ways and how the school used to be, I feel like just didn't put enough effort to diversify and bring people that look different into the school. Like where I go to recruit um, heavily, you know, people of color areas like Philadelphia area, New Jersey, Delaware County areas sometimes. And like those areas are hard to recruit, but I love going out there and going to see, get those kids because there's someone like me in my position to tell them about my experience in the school and how much it meant to me to go to the school. Um, but then I don't want my message to come across as fake because when they get there, they don't see people that look like them. And that's the dilemma. Um, so it, it's one of those. So things- what's the story you tell when you go, what, what, cause you, I imagine that you want to be yeah. as honest as you possibly can. Yeah, yeah. So what do you, what, how do you tell the story of PCAD? Well, I tell them from my, my lens or my viewpoint. Um, I tell mm-hmm. them that, you know, I had a great time. I love the environment. I'm, I go through all the positives, of course, because I want people to come to the school because I love it. Um, but there are there are also people that ask me, you know, hey, how diverse is it? Um, will like, I remember at one fair, one parent asked me, how will people receive her work? And I was like, oh, my God, that's a great question mm-hmm. for one, um, for a parent to ask. And I was like, and like, I almost kind of shocked me because no one had ever asked that question before. But I, in that moment, I realized how important it was. So I try and tell people in the best way I can, if you don't find what you're looking for at the school, um, you have to find people that will understand your work. Um, and it sucks to hear, but you have to work that much harder to get your work seen in a way. Because mm-hmm. I've been in situations where, you know, people have completely ignored the message that I'm trying to get across with my portraits and just talked about the technical aspects of it and it it pissed me off so it, mm-hmm. it pissed me off and then see and now like that's an extra step for a person of color a black person in my opinion um to go that extra step of now having to explain your work mm-hmm. to a group of people that already aren't willing to understand because they don't want to ask questions and that's exhausting in itself and then what you have to keep presenting mm-hmm. the work to them and then if they're not getting it so you have to keep explaining in some cases but then you just give up because it's like well, what's the point of showing these people this work if they're not willing to want to understand it and critique it in the way I want them to critique it? Um, and that's not to say like you want good critiques or anything else like that. You just, I personally just want people to understand like this is about what the work's about. Even if you don't understand what I went through or what I'm trying to portray in the work, I want you as a person who is white to ask me questions, understand what I'm going through, and don't just ignore it and critique the technical qualities. Cause that's just you. That's just a way out in my opinion. Like you're, you're bullshitting me now. Why did you stay <laughs> at this, here? Yeah. In Lancaster. I mean, I know it's home, but yeah. <laughs> you know, you could have gone somewhere else. Yeah. But... You could have pursued a career as an artist yeah, yeah, yeah. possibly yeah. or a professional in some other city or some other country. Yeah. Um, why'd you choose to stay? couple of reasons. Um, first year I graduated, people were like, oh, you should leave. <laughs> and I'm like, well, do you have fucking money 
to have a down payment on an apartment or right. security deposit. Like right. I, I don't have that. Like, right. and consistently, uh, this has been white people to say the least. Um, people have said, Oh, you should leave. Just do it. And I'm like, I don't have a security blanket to just up and leave. Um, like my family's here. This is my city, but like that's, and that's what made me so mad about a lot of it. It's like, people think you can just go and just live. Like you can't just move to a different city, not know, like I'm very social and I love to make friends, but I can't, I feel like if I were to just up and leave without a plan, Mm -hmm. you you shoot yourself in the foot. So it's like, that's one big reason I didn't leave. Cause like, Mm -hmm. I wasn't that type of person to just be like, well, fuck it. Let's just go. Let's take all my stuff and move out and do this thing. And like, I was working like jobs that didn't pay me enough. So it's like, I can't save mm-hmm. because of said jobs. And I'm just like, I can't, and it's, it was just a bunch of different factors. So like, that was a big reason. Like I'm not going to leave because I can't just up and do it. Um, another reason is that I, over time, I felt like I could make a difference within my city and within my community here, um, more or less to the younger generation that's below me. Um, and I'm, I'm involved in a mentoring program now where I'm a, I'm one-on-one with a sixth grader and I'm trying to get them to understand like there's different ways to be an artist, the different ways and different things that you can do to achieve your goals. Um, and there's more, there's about 15 mentees and about 15 mentors and we're all paired up. Um, but I've been involved with, uh, working with kids and in education since I was like 13, 14 years old. Um, so I've been in boys and girls club. I've been involved, um, with YWCA teaching photography workshops there. Um, I've taught photography workshops, workshops at Burroughs, um, elementary school. So that's one big reason. Like I've Mm -hmm. always been involved in the community in some capacity, not as much as I would like. Um, but I worked as a camp counselor and a camp site supervisor for like six, seven years. And I grew into like the community I was growing up in or lived in. Um, people started to respect me as like a person. They, they trusted me to like protect their kids. And I was like, mm, that's a huge, yeah. that's a huge responsibility at 21, 22 years old. Yeah. Um, so as like, as I got older, I was like, you know, I can make a difference here. And, you know, I'm not that far from those other bigger cities like Baltimore, Washington, um, Philadelphia, New York. Like it's not, I don't have to move to those cities where the rent's higher or like it's harder to find places to live. Um, I could just stay here, find a house, um, make a change here um, and then expand out. And that's what's been happening over the last two years. I've gotten many of opportunity to go um, exhibit my work in other places while still living in Lancaster. Um, mm. But it, but it's always hard. It's just hard to see the city change as well and not make progress the way I wanted to make progress. So, I mean, with downtown, with, you know, uh, how they portray themselves, how the city portrays itself, I'm always thriving to see change in a dynamic of like, hey, there's more artists of color downtown. Hey, there's more black artists downtown. There's more black spaces where we can operate and have our own culture and be in that space and feel safe and wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's. I mean, the one big thing that happened, I think two years ago, um, I was on the front page of the arts section for the first time in my life in Lancaster city. And I was like, Holy shit. Like that's fucking crazy. Like <laughs> I grew up here and I'm, I'm in the arts section of the paper. So it's like, to me, it's a big deal. Now as part of this contest, 
that I was in. It was an exhibition they hold every year. I enter it every year because it's, to be honest, it's like a, a for sure way to just get my work out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so my the picture is huge that I put on the they put on the front of this thing, um, and I took a picture of myself with it, um, and I was like, "This is awesome, great feeling." Um, I ended up getting what third place um, out of the other two pictures or out of the whole exhibition. So I was, I don't even know if it was third, maybe it was honorable mention. I can't remember. Um, but I went and looked at the other two pictures and I was like, there's no way this is better than mine. My photograph is stronger. Like, even if it's like the, people don't get the message, like technically Mm. it was just like, to me, it was a stronger photograph. It still baffles me today. I still have the paper in my office and I'm just like, how can my picture be blown up? and have a page spread, but not get some, uh, it's, it's just weird. It's weird to me. So I'm just kind of like in the instances like that, where I'm just like, okay, you know, what do I do now? Like, how do I move forward? How do I get past this and not, you know, lash out on social media or anything like that and, you know, get angry with people. Um, and it, it's just kind of evolving. Honestly, it's always evolving within my work too, but there's instances like that and multiple things that have happened where I'm just like, okay, I see what's happening downtown. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you for being uh, direct and honest about your answer to the question. Why don't you leave? Because I'm the asshole who asked that question. <laughs> why don't you just leave? Like, cause I'm not any fucking money asshole. That's well, why. Yeah. Yeah. We just, you know, that's the answer. And like, I stepped right into that one. Yeah. <laughs> So well, no, I'm yeah. I'm really grateful to you for being just direct about it and not trying to yeah. like tiptoe around it. You have declared here um, that you are committed to mentoring new artists of color here in Lancaster, young artists of color here in, in Lancaster, and that you, you you know you look around and you see downtown Lancaster changing some ways, not changing other ways. Yeah. Uh, and you know you've already described that the way that you've sort of decided to deal at least artistically or respond at least artistically to what's happening right now is to look inward. What is the meaning of this movement? When you look out your window, taking in what is happening in this moment, how do you understand it? What are its roots? We're having these protest movements all around the country. Yep. What kind of change do you see as actually possible in this Lancaster one? How do you feel about the way that law enforcement is conducting themselves here in Lancaster? Um, and, um, what would you like to see this result in? That's a hard one because I want to see a lot of things change, but I'm always skeptical that America will be America and it'll go back. It'll just be one thing tomorrow that'll, oh, protests are over. We're going back to this now. Or protests are over, pandemic's back on. You I'm know, afraid of the same of, thing. And that's what's honestly been in the back of my head. What I want to see is a lot of change. Um, honestly, I don't know what that change might look like. I'm not as informed as far as like laws go with like police force, Lancaster, things like that. Um, but things need to change on a grand scale. And I do think that the combination of this pandemic and the protests and the fact that this has gone like worldwide, um, is going to change things. But like I said, I'm always in that mindset of like okay they're convicted now what do we do um they're going to jail how do we make sure that doesn't happen again um Mm. 
And how can it be like stone cold, like solid that it won't happen again kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, and that's what scares me because, you know, I'm trying to avoid watching all those videos that people are putting out because it makes mm-hmm. me angry. It makes me mm-hmm. sad. Um, it's just like, and it, it also hits me on like a morals level. It's like, if everyone understood how police, the police started and where it came from, um, and this, this is kind of like my honest opinion is like, I would never, like, I just don't trust police. Mm. Um, even with, like, I get nervous around police all the time, even if it's just, you know, some Joe Schmo walking around trying to be security at some event or something. Like, I just don't trust police. I feel like people who are police officers don't have something wrong, but it's just like, why did you become a police officer in the first place? And are you still a police officer for that reason? knowing what's happening mm. what some of your brother your brother wouldn't quote unquote have done um and you've seen people do like and that's what that's what i constantly keep thinking about any person of color black person that's a cop like how can you be a cop after what you've seen consistently years and years and years and years and years of police brutality systematic racism racial profiling um, all these laws that have been put in place to keep black people down. I want a whole change to the police force. As skeptical as I am, I do think there's hope. But I'm always in that vein of like, you know, this is trending now. I'm worried about my family and my friends around me. Um, the pandemic's still going on, even though it seems like everyone forgot about it. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> um, and it just worries me as months go on. It's like, you know, you guys, it'll be like one of those things like, hey, you guys remember that those week and a half of protests during the pandemic <laughs> last right. summer? That was cool. That was cool. Um, and I'm just like, there needs to be more of an impact. Like things need to change, like from the top down. Would you be willing to just give a quick history lesson, make put you in the shoes of a history teacher and just say, so, like, <laughs> what are the origins of the police? Because I think you're right. I think that if people knew yeah. and really understood where police came from, that that's an important place as a the place to start uh, in assessing yeah. um, what their role is. So please. So in short, um, I might not be the best person to talk about this, but I've done my research. So in short, the police were set up to catch runaway slaves. Essentially, mm-hmm. that was the first thing they were set up to do, um, and this system has basically stayed in place since then. Um, and honestly, that's where the systematic oppression of black people started. Um, and it's been in place for 400 some odd years. So, um, but yeah, that, that's essentially why the police were started. Um, just bringing runaway slaves back to their masters, et cetera, et cetera. The key, I think the key idea there that underlies um, that um, development is the importance of property. Oh, yeah. In the white, yeah. In the white American mind, oh, right? Oh my like, goodness, yeah. Slaves as being so we can't lose our property, yep. and police becoming as prevalent as they are in effort to protect people's property, mm-hmm. and we see that now in in you know it's it, you can draw a direct line from like Fugitive Slave Act to the protests yeah. in downtown Los Angeles yep. where people were dancing and singing and they were yep. just exuding nothing but joy. Yep. The minute they became within shouting different distance of Beverly Hills. Out come the truncheons, out comes the tear gas, out come the rubber bullets, because they were threatening the property, the property yep. of the rich white man. 
And that's, <laughs> that's the step, that's the line that you cannot cross. Um, and I would add one more piece to it, which is just that like, from the very beginning, you said laws that were put in place in order to, to oppress black people. Um, in large part, those laws, I think, um, in many different ways, many different manifestations, originated with the elite ensuring that poor white people and poor black people, in, and we're talking about the 17th, 18th century, would not unite to rise up against the wealthy yeah. and powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we go back to, like, the first, the only example I always give is, is um, Bacon's Rebellion in 1676. Um, you know, Bacon was not a nice guy. He was pretty racist. Yeah. Um, but he was interested in protecting his rights, and um, he had the support of a lot of local African Americans, um, some freed slaves, and Governor Berkeley, who was the power at the time, the Virginia House of Burgesses, said, "We can't have this kind of unity between black and white, and so we're going to put into place over the course of the next twenty to twenty-five years laws which basically." Uh, secure and codify blackness yep. as a thing and therefore yep. whiteness in whiteness uh, in in opposition and that blackness equals slavery. Yep. Um, this division of people who have like-minded who are like-minded in terms of their social connections, in terms of their economic interests, this division of them has been a way that the elite has kept the revolution from happening yep. for 400 years. What we see right now, in the streets of the United States are, and I see this again and again and again, and people commentate on it, but they don't go far enough to explain how important it is. Yeah. We see people, you know, we talk about diversity, right? Yeah. Uh, as much of a joke as that word is, we see it in the streets. Um, and, you know, I, for, for as white as, as people think Lancaster is, it's actually the city is less white than it is oh, yeah. black and brown. Oh, yeah. So we're seeing people white, black, brown in the streets together. And I think that's the scariest thing of all. And that's why we're seeing cops who are largely, uh, mostly white, yep. um, bringing down the hammer, um, literally. Yep. I know that um, many people try to diminish what's happening here and, and sort of yeah. limit the yeah. voice. I think there are a lot of linked um, social justice movements in these protests. I think that there are certainly... Uh, you know, um, those protesting in favor of the Black Lives Matter movement, whatever you think of that movement. But yep. I also think some very serious, very, um, uh, very poignant, very necessary conversations being had about um, economic inequality. Um, yeah. I think those things are also connected. What's your take on that? As far as Lancaster is concerned, as far as the country is concerned? Um, I think, like, honestly, I think, like you said, I think it's all linked. You know, you start with the police. Because that's a huge system that's you know historically been oppressive, um, but then I, I I do think a lot of people just relate to what's happening. Like even if you may not be black, I think there are cases where people are coming out of the woodwork. I mean, I think that's why it's become like a global thing because people understand like no one should ever get treated like that or killed. Everyone's just fed up, and to say the least, they're fed up with everything, with police, with you know you know speaking on my experience fed up with uh being dealt shitty student loans that you can never get out from under um this mm -hmm. has been that's in the system all the time um mm -hmm. having jobs that don't pay you a wage where you can actually live i've experienced mm -hmm. that too um it's just like people are just fed up in my opinion um and the the problem i'm seeing too within the narrative of the protests is that you know people are oh they're riots and you know, right. people like people 
can only take so much until things boil over and you have to understand like this isn't coming from like angry young black people because you know they just want to do it and it's fun like this is years and years and years of not being heard and not being listened to being murdered and oppressed and systematically just torn apart um and people are just fed up there's great feeling for me seeing all of these people out there doing their thing and fighting for what they think is right and what is right in my opinion um that people shouldn't have to worry about walking down the street you know being who they are and or the color of their skin and you know being pulled over and being killed like it's just that shouldn't happen ever like you someone shouldn't be you know in their own household and be shot while they're sleeping like Brianna Taylor was um mm-hmm. Eric Gardner was choked to death even though he was telling them he couldn't breathe so it's like instances like that where like how can that be happening and nothing is happening how can people see that have physical evidence it's happening and not say hey we should change something or hey we should do something about that no one should ever get killed like that but it all comes back to that system that's put in place it's like well it's another black person dead we're going to normalize this and show people and share the videos on the internet so people under people get numb to what they're seeing we're going to release movies about slavery so people um get numb Mm. to slavery and what happened to those people um, we're going to release, you know, films about the Ku Klux Klan and yada, 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 and get people to be numb about the Ku Klux Klan. Um, and I feel like it's all a plan, honestly, just to, like, get people to not think about things anymore. And that's, like, the underlying idea. Like, I don't ever want to have it where people don't think about these things or don't challenge these things. Um, but that th- therein lies the problem because social media is so powerful right now. We need social media to spread these messages and to spread the words and show people the injustices that are happening. But there's also like the backside of like, all right, you don't want white people to think it's cool to like look at this stuff and show people this stuff all the time. And then you had like that George Floyd challenge. I didn't want to mention it. Um, that George Floyd thing that a bunch of white people were doing. Um, mimicking George Floyd's death on Instagram and everywhere else on Facebook. Um, and, you know, they, they got charged for a hate crime, but made bail and they're out on the street again. So it's like, there needs to be incredibly severe punishments for shit like that. Um, like just things need to happen where people actually are held accountable. Um, and that's where like the biggest problem is like, no one is being held accountable for the deaths of all the black people that have happened within the past three months and over the last few years. And in history, there are times where I, I just can't do it. I can't look at it. I can't take it. I can't process it that way that other people can. So it's like I look at my photographs, like I said, and do as much as I can and look into myself on how to process all this. So. I'm glad you brought us. I'm glad you brought us back there because that's how. Oh, you're back. This, this will be good work. This will be yeah. my final question, which is: gotcha. um, so with the work that you're working on right now, the inward yeah. looking, um, what? So what have you learned from doing from making? the photographs that you're making right now? Uh, I need to photograph more black people. <laughs> Plain and simple. <laughs> that's that's what okay. I've learned. Uh, to elaborate, um, I have always photographed white people because they've been people that have been close to me, my friends, everything else. Um, I've always navigated away from like my family because it's difficult to photograph them um, for a number of reasons, but artistically, I've just never like involved them in my work because they're they wouldn't take it as much as I could. But now doing these self portraits I've been doing and photographing my family, um, this is a moment 
I'm taking to preserve who I am and preserve my family history. And I've hit a turning point in my life where I need to document all of my family members as much as I can with with um, the series I'm doing because a lot of them are getting older. A lot of my aunts are moving away and getting older. Um, so with my work, it's just like I need, I've realized that I need to photograph more black people. I enjoy it a lot more. Um, I get more out of the photographs. I The work, when I look at the photographs on my computer, it's not just all about aesthetic. Um, and that's one thing I've been struggling with because there are people that are willing to be in my portraits, but they're not black. So it's like I have to, as as I grow, it's like I'm cutting out people that I don't need or cutting out people that help, that, that I, I surround myself to grow as an artist and a person. And that honestly is more black people, more people of color that understand what I'm going through and understand my message that I'm trying to get across and understand why I'm photographing, not just because things look pretty, but because I want to present people with an image of themselves that like they, they relate to um, and that they just like can feel, you know. Um, but yeah, like with these self portraits, like I meant to take this one picture as like a quarantine self portrait, um, and like have different aspects of how I identify with the quarantine. But then as I looked at the picture and had the idea in my head, I look almost like a serial killer. And I was like, wait a minute, if I think that way about myself, when I look like this, imagine how someone who's a police officer or a white person who, you know, her their direct go-to is, like, call police. There's a suspicious person that looks like he's going to do... Like, I, the, I titled it Quarantine Artist Protester Killer, question mark. I That picture made me think a lot about just, like, all kinds of different aspects of, like, how I identify as a black man, how other people see me in, a, in certain spaces, um, how I've been dealing with the quarantine over the past three months, how hoodies have become like this thing now with black and brown people. Um, and it's like, it's crazy to think that a piece of clothing can, you know, get you shot, you know, when you're minding your own business and walking home from the store to get candies like that. It's just like things like that are like, get me thinking all the time. And it's like, of course it, it bothers me to think about those things, but it helps me progress and understand the system, it helps me, it saddens me, of course, but I think with these self-portraits and photographs of my family, I'm finding some clarity in like how to proceed as a person and as an artist and just grow. Osman and I first started talking about European soccer. He's a Man U fan and I'm an Evertonian. We initially treated Barb as about the dire straits both of our squads were in at the time. The conversation quickly evolved into something more significant and we become fast friends. I haven't seen Osman in person since the first week of March. I hope to see him again soon, either in the fall or possibly next spring. Original music in this episode is by Nick Peterson. Please check out earlier episodes of What We Will Abide. You can go to the What We Will Abide webpage at ACAST, that's A-C-A-S-T dot shows dot com slash What We Will Abide, or the What We Will Abide Facebook page. And if you're so inclined and would like to leave a positive review on iTunes, that would be dandy. Thanks for listening.